0: It seems today in the US, we can't agree on anything. And we have these cultural divides, we have these mindset divides. And you have it in GovCon too. We have it in the business community. These are cultural issues, they're mindset issues. And the question becomes, how do you bridge them? And we've got a very interesting guest today that has a lot of expertise on how you bridge these cultural divides. Daniela Tavo, you know Daniela from the show. You know her as a global trade expert, as somebody that has negotiated and brokered deals on the world stage with world leaders. What you may not know is that Daniela is an opera singer. You may not know that she's spent an enormous amount of time working with the Embassy series. This is a group of folks that they put on concerts, performances, cultural exchanges with other countries at their embassy. Imagine organizing events like this with a country like China, or Russia, or Israel, or France, or Germany. Each one of these countries we have, as America, a very unique and complicated relationship. So there is an incredible amount of relationship and cultural navigation expertise that Daniela brings to the table. Also, not only can she help us bridge cultural divides, but Daniela has fascinating insights on performance. So, when we perform, how can we bring more of us to the job? More of our own unique gifts.
1: We have this common condition that we're sharing there's no one out there that doesn't have a story. Every, every time you think you know something about someone, um, there there's another part to it that you didn't realize. And you get to that point where you say like, oh, wow, I'm just gonna resign myself to the fact that I don't know these things and that I'm gonna assume the best out of people. And we're all, you know, and I, I'm not saying all people and all things are good, by the way, because there, there's I, I know bad stuff out there. Oh. But you know when you're when you're sitting there and you're all in an audience and you're listening to this beautiful music and you're all having your own experience, but you're you're finding that vulnerability inside you and you're sitting next to someone who's doing the same thing and next to someone else who's doing the same thing. There is that shared moment, and you can stop talking about those six words that set everyone else yeah. off, and yeah. uh, we can have a more nuanced. Um, Conversation about things that are you know care about and are beautiful. GovCon different ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change.
0: So Daniela, I've I've got to say every time we talk, it feels like we've already been talking for hours. We just fall back in place from the time before. So it is so great to have you on the show again today.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Now it's not every day we talk to somebody that was just talking to us about firing at the range with a Glock and now <laughs> we're talking about the piano, right? So this is really cool. Now, when you talk about a great piano, I mean, I had piano lessons as a kid and I think I probably frustrated that teacher to where <clears throat> she may have, you know, stopped uh, teaching after that, but what is
1: she a probably great... did.
0: <laughs> What's What's a great piano, Danielle? I mean, when you talk about that, Uh, you know, the sound, but as a player, what's a great piano to you?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, It's a great piano to you is what a great piano to you is, right? Hmm. Um, I I laugh because I cannot draw for the life of me. You you ask me to draw anything, it all looks like a lollipop, Mm -hmm. but I can appreciate great art. Yes. And... You know, I've studied art and I I can maybe perhaps throw out some terms about like why this painting, you know, is more balanced, why this piano sounds better, why that that performer, you know, um, gave a better performance. But at the end of the day, it's what moves you. It, mm. It's what what touches you and what you feel and what transcends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I would say. So. So to me. Um, it, it's what you like. I mean, different pianos are built differently. They feel different. They sound different. There's some people that want a, a stronger, more strident sound. There's some people that like a warmer, mm-hmm. um, more melodious yeah. sound. Um, but, you know, it's your instrument um, is very personal. So when when you touch it or, or when, when you sing, singing is the most personal thing I think you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to feel like it's part of you.
0: Yeah. And so it almost sounds like you have a deep relationship with that instrument. Is that a fair way of thinking about it?
1: I, I would say that is very true. And, and, and you know, I mentioned singing. It's, it's even more so because a pianist can go from piano to piano.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They have their piano at home that they and normally they have more than one piano that, that they have. Um, But, you know, for singing, it's very much you're creating that instrument, you're you're creating the architecture of your body Mm -hmm. um, to, you know, which um, is pretty complicated, which is why singers singing is very complex. Singers are very often some of the smartest people I've ever met, whereas pianists tend to be extremely intellectual.
0: Huh. Interesting. Now, you are a classically trained opera singer and a pianist as well. When did you develop this love of music? Kind of walk us through a little bit of that journey.
1: You know, it's um, it's hard to say. My dad is uh, an opera singer. Hmm. And he, one of his specialties, he sang in opera houses around the world. And one of his specialties is singing German art songs or what we call German leader. Hmm. So I grew up with it. Not just him in the house singing all the time, but him listening to recordings of him singing to perfect his own technique. Uh-huh. Um, his friends were artists. They came over, they played. We, we had a regular kind of, I, I would say, somewhat bohemian lifestyle. I remember, you know, at, you know, a very young age, throwing in these musical evenings in our very humble home with our very humble furniture. And if we had to sit on the floor, it was fine. It wasn't yeah. about that. It was about just, you know, someone getting up and, and playing, singing, um, I wrote this piece playing their guitar. We, we, it's you know, we we have very good friends of ours that every year throw a Beethoven's birthday party. They've been doing it for I don't know forty five years, mm-hmm. um, and you know everyone goes and plays Beethoven. And, and if you don't play, then you listen and uh, you so- eat. <laughs>
0: that sounds amazing. Now, as a singer. And I, different singers. There are altos, there are sopranos, mezzo sopranos. Where do you fall within sort of that range, Daniela?
1: I have a confusing voice, and so even within that range, you have different types. It's what you call a Fach, okay. which, different type of singer. So uh-huh. you might say, okay, someone's a, a soprano, but they're not just any soprano. They're a, a spinto, or they're a coloratura, or they're, a, um, you know, they specialize in a particular area. They're they're a Mozart. <laughs> mm mm-hmm. right. Mezzo. Um when I studied, I, I was classified as a mezzo soprano because okay. I had a, a, a I would say a rich middle and low voice, but I have a very high range. So I'm actually what we call a dramatic soprano.
0: Hmm.
1: And what is your very favorite dramatic. kind of <laughs> what's your favorite kind of music to to actually perform? Um, you know, it's hard to say. Um because I, I love I love opera. I'm mm-hmm. extremely passionate about opera. Um, not all opera, but I love singing opera. I love listening to it. I don't get tired of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and within opera, I would say I love Mozart. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about Mozart in a second. And I love Verdi and Puccini. But I also I also love singing jazz and jazz standards, like a lot of Cole Porter, um, George Gershwin, yeah. Um and I love listening yeah. to everything. I listen from I love bluegrass. Um I love um hip hop, rap, mm-hmm. um, any any anything, seventies rock. Yeah. All all of that stuff. It's all yeah. good. And
0: when you listen to seventies rock or hip hop, and I like a lot of those different sounds as well, does that kind of relate back ever to opera? Do you pick up something maybe in a hip hop song that may slightly influence performing Mozart, or is that just kind of too crazy?
1: It's it's not too crazy. It's funny because I feel like it feeds a, a different part of me. But that said, you know, the thing about classical music is it's been around, you know, some of the stuff was written hundreds of years ago, so it stood the test of time. Um, I'm always a little skeptical when I go to concert and someone says, "Hey, I found this little ditty from 200 years ago that's never been played." It's like there's probably a reason for that, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that that discipline around when when you listen to something and how you feel about it, and then when you listen to something new, I don't know if you ever caught those shows like American Idol or X Factor or mm-hmm. anything. You listen, and and all they're doing is listening to someone, and sometimes you catch them closing their eyes, like how how does this really make me feel? Is it the moment of being here with thousands of people or is it, if I listen to this person on the radio, are they going to take me to a different place? Mm-hmm. There's a certain discipline around how you listen, how you listen to music to understand whether or not this is someone that's going to have longevity. Oh. If there's something about them that's super special, um, you know, that, that you that you listen to and you say, wow, I'm I'm gonna listen to them again and again and I'm mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get tired of listening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I would say that discipline around I I, I guess I, I would liken it to I would liken it to a, a visual artist who can look at art and say, you know, I've I know that this moves me because I'm not in touch with myself. Does that make sense at all?
0: Oh it, it does. And You know, I was thinking as a living, I coach people for presentations and I'm listening for certain things. And some of it is not always in the textbooks. Some of it I'm listening for. Yeah, they made a good message. But did I connect with them? Did I like them? Am I buying it? And it sounds like some of that discipline is the same when you're listening to
1: music. It it very much is. And, you know, it's funny that you you mentioned that because... um... It's just having this discussion with someone last night, as I get older, I'm less deductive, meaning I don't look at what's there and say, what does it mean? I look at what's there and I say, what's not there? Yes. What's missing here? Yes. You know, and what does that tell me? Because very often that tells me a lot more than what's being presented or fed.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when we talk about, you mentioned you love Mozart, you love a lot of different music. Why is that? I mean, I get it, and you said a few things, but I just love to hear why you have this love affair with music.
1: Um, you know, it's really interesting. It's just it puts me. I'm 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 one of those extremely extroverted, extremely introverted people. Okay, I know <laughs> um, the type. Yeah, and it feeds whatever m- mood I have, and I think music in that way connects us Mm -hmm. sometimes we get so caught up in words and vernacular and you know and especially these days like here are the six words i can mention and they're going to set everyone off right Yes. yes and music transcends that because no one can tell you how you're supposed to interpret this uh-huh. with very rare exception where we've hear, we've heard the Star Spangled Banner many times and we say, okay, you know, sure. or, but no one can really, no one can really tell you. And so it allows your, your brain to feel free. And I, I alluded to Mozart. Um, so when you sing Mozart, <clears throat> there's an area of the voice called the passaggio, and it's an area, and it depends from, voice-to-voice type, so Mm -hmm. mezzo-sopranos tend to have a passaggio in a certain area, sopranos in a certain area, or a baritone, and and it's where your voice kind of changes, and it's this almost um, feeble, weak, vulnerable spot in the voice, and it's hard sometimes not only to sing there, but to maintain there, and what Mozart does, and we used to laugh because if you're um, a mezzo-soprano or soprano, he writes almost like 80% of the notes are in the passaggio, Mm-hmm. And we, we would say, Oh my God, he's a misogynist <laughs> writing that is so difficult to maintain and then to do an aria that is a long aria, which very often they are. Yeah. Um and and the funny thing about that, so what does that do when it when it forces your voice into that vulnerable space and to stay there? You have no choice but not to force it through. Otherwise you are going to get really tired. Your vocal cords, you're going to leave mm. that aria feeling like completely exhausted. Mm-hmm. So you have to let it go. You, you have to not push, push on it. Uh-huh. And it creates this really beautiful sound that really gets to the heart of your voice, the heart of your vulnerability. Wow. Um, and um, that's, you know, for me, um, not only something I really love about Mozart, but the way it's organized. And of course I've studied music theory mm-hmm. and you, you see that there are various themes and everything, but it it it's almost like, have you ever seen that movie, Babe, you know, yeah. the, the sheep herding pig? Yeah,
0: that'll do, Big, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'll do, Pig. Um, and that last scene where you you just want to wipe the little tear away from your eye, he comes onto the field and there's chaos and somehow he just, says the right words and it organizes. I feel like that's what Mozart does to my brain. Wow. It organizes my brain and puts me in a place that is, and and I don't know why that is. It's the way music is composed and good music will organize your brain. It might organize it differently. Mm -hmm. Like I can listen to good rap and it organizes my brain too, but into a different function. It, It exercises a different part. So I do think that there is an aspect of, music um and you've seen a lot of like I've, i'm really into math and you know i'm one of those kids that was a total nerd math team and stuff and uh-huh. i, I you know, would take extra math problems home and just do it for hours i loved it that much but there is definitely a correlation between math and music
0: math and music yeah. Um,
1: and you see a lot of mathematicians are extraordinary musicians like einstein you know uh-huh. And the list of, you know, Nobel Prize winners that, you know, were musicians. Um, there, there's a great book by Adam Grant, and he um, enumerates all, all the various uh, folks uh, who uh, were Nobel Prize winners that were also very accomplished musicians. So I, I think, you know, that that's incredibly important and an important aspect of music as well. You know,
0: as you're talking, I wonder, is the brain, in your view, wired that way? where you either have it or you do not? Or is this something that you can learn your kind of thoughts on this? Is it nature or nurture to be a great singer?
1: Um, uh, There's a certain amount of nature in the sound of your voice, but definitely a very high amount of nurture, Mm -hmm. very high, much higher than people think. You know, I've seen people who who draw lollipops like me and take courses on, you know, drawing, what is it, with the left side of your brain or right side? I can't remember. Yeah, I think the left Forgive is the me, creator, but, yes. you know. Yes. And, and you look at what they come up with when they start looking at things differently instead of drawing the lines that they see, drawing the shadows or, you know, around it. Um, and it, it's really quite profound. I've heard some pretty terrible voices get great coaching and sound beautiful, they bring out the beauty in the voice. Huh. I've seen some pretty amazing voices that um, just can't seem to connect. Hmm. There's also a certain amount of humility that you need as a musician to really break yourself down and to put yourself out there, and that's the connection that you have with an audience. Yeah. And it, it's funny, um, to this day, to some degree, I, I have nervousness about performing um but yet i love it so much i actually sing better when i perform than when i'm in my in my own you know music room singing to myself practicing because i I connect and i feel like i can be much more emotional i'm i'm connecting with the people that are out there and and there's that synergy and Mm -hmm. you know when you have it and when you don't
0: you know i wanted to ask you about that the I do a lot of public speaking and I get very nervous before I go on. And like you said, when the crowd is there, I tend to be at my best. It draws something out, yet for me, I'm not, yeah, my message has to be there and so forth, but I'm not relying almost on an instrument in my voice and hoping and praying it's there. So I've always felt, Daniela, that there must be tremendous pressure when you go on before an audience, that they have high expectations, and that you want to kind of live up to those, is is that true when you go out there and perform?
1: Yes, absolutely. But you, you can't think about that. You have to think about just enjoying yourself and being there um, to um, uh, create music and to you know be prepared as well. Just as you know when when you do your speaking engagements, right. Mm -hmm. You 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 have to some degree an idea of what you're going to say, sometimes even more. So you want to be prepared, but you also want to be so prepared that um, that you can leave it alone. I mean, I I worked as a trade negotiator Mm -hmm. and one of the things everyone used to do is they would put a big binder full of talking points. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't like to do that for a number of reasons. First of all, heaven forbid, I should leave it somewhere, which I've seen done. And that's not good. Um, the second reason is it didn't allow me any flexibility in what I wanted to say. I'd rather memorize what the issues were and understand them inside and out and be able to speak freely with some, with some idea of what the parameters were, what we, what we were going after. Right. And, you know, it's funny, I've had many different careers, um, In in my life, I sing, I play the piano. I I wasn't a career pianist, even though I studied to be. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, My singing was a lot more serious, but I also did various things from, you know, waiting tables for many years to put myself through school, working in retail jobs, working as an executive in the cosmetic industry, working in in government for many years, doing lots of different things. And each and every experience taught me something really incredible about life that I use also in my work. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've leaned into is the fact that I'm so ADHD that I do have to do 50 things at one time. Mm -hmm. I do. That's, that's my, my, my superpower, right? Yeah. Um, rather than say like, oh, I'm, I'm distracted. Say it's, it's okay to be distracted, but you have to kind of connect all of these things in life together. Um, if that makes sense. See, I've already taken you down a rabbit hole. Ask me <laughs> one thing, and I totally changed the subject.
0: You no, know, it took me uh, probably only a few years ago. I realized that same thing. I am off the charts ADHD, and it took me a long time to figure out how to manage that. But as you manage it, like you say, it has incredible power. And it didn't always. When I was told to be, you know, a kid in a classroom, sit there and do. I was off looking out the window. Wanted to talk about this, making a joke but it has enormous power as you learn and come into it. And speaking of ADHD and mixing topics and so forth, and and you've had like an amazing life of doing a lot of different things, whether it's negotiating international treaties, whether it's in music, you're also among all of the things that you do, you're the chief operating officer at the embassy series. So for those that are unfamiliar, what is the embassy series and how did you get involved?
1: So um, the embassy series is a concert series that um, we, we um, offer performances at various embassies and ambassadors' residences. We've worked with um, 80 different countries and 100 different venues. Wow. It's exclusively Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and we offer performers from that country performing music from that country. And then um, almost always, in fact, they would actually say always, there is a buffet dinner that Mm -hmm. is um, food from that country. And um, I got involved, um, uh, so my my father, as I mentioned, is a classical musician and around 1980, he created something called the Washington Music Ensemble. Hmm. And um, they performed around the world. I I traveled, um, I was young at the time. Um, I traveled um, uh, throughout Europe with them um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and, um, at some point that, that kind of dissolved and it morphed into this, uh, uh, embassy series. And my, my father was the one who originally started it, but how did it start? I would say in the late seventies, my father, um, had very many good friends. I don't, I don't know if you were around, you were in Johnstown, I think at the, at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but in DC, D.C. was very different it was a very sleepy town northern virginia did not exist the way it does right now you had you know some people yeah. in mclean you had some people in fairfax and vienna but all of what's going on in you know clarendon arlington none of that even mm-hmm. the, the sprawl you had people um in chevy chase and bethesda but it was very different and dc shut down at 5 p.m. wow it's it, you had Georgetown, you had the bistro, uh, you had a couple of restaurants after the Kennedy Center in the hotels, mm-hmm. but it was not what it looks like now at all. And I I remember this very well. And one of the things that my dad thought at the time was, wouldn't it be nice to do some concerts in embassies? And he had a lot of friends in the diplomatic corps. He was very good friends with the ambassador from Luxembourg, mm-hmm. very good friends with the cultural attaché from the embassy of Austria, who went on to assume um, various uh, um, ambassadorial roles. Um, Very good friend of our family, Gunther Birbaum. And he decided to reach out to them and start doing concerts. And the ambassador from Luxembourg actually was a pianist, a very accomplished pianist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, we all traveled in the same circles. So he started doing these concerts first in the Austrian embassy and then in, in the German embassy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pretty sleepy at the time, but it had its its cult following. Mm. He also performed in these, And in 1992, he formed the embassy series. Um, I started getting involved first by, you know, obviously volunteering. We, you know, that was back in the day where you wanted to reach people. You didn't have internet and social media. So you did these mailings and you put the stamps on there. I remember sorting through, and if you want to do bulk mailing, you had to organize it by zip code. And Uh so I started helping them with that. Then I started um, getting a lot more involved in helping with things like artist selection, what do you think about this, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Where I think I really had the Mm -hmm. most impact and particularly given my background in international affairs is saying, let's really broaden this. Let's start Mm -hmm. going into places that other people are not going that matter because musical diplomacy, just like sports diplomacy, is an area we can connect. Mm-hmm. We were the first to open the embassy of Vietnam, the new Chinese embassy in DC. Um, we were the first group invited, um, the Iraqi embassy, um, you know, Tunisian residents, um, places that we felt were hot spots too. We worked with embassy of Israel um, quite a bit, mm-hmm. and you know, fast forward, and we we wanted to, people to understand, even if for that minute, to connect together. And for the ambassadors, it was an extraordinary moment, you know, part of their mandate is to do outreach into the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we did the Russian embassy, we did the Russian residence. Um, and I have you know some great pictures with a very well-known ambassador. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I which I try to hide in my phone, you know, over here. But you know, we 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 realized, and I, I will say this as, and I am sure that you've traveled, you know, quite a bit. I've traveled to many different countries. Mm-hmm. And my favorite type of travel is where you just get off the grid and you start walking around and talking to people and wandering and, and you don't necessarily have a purpose, but you just feel feel what it's like. Right. Um, and you realize that. Putting aside the cultural differences, people are the same everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They really are. And, you know, this this has been you know proven um, um, time and time again. I went to hear Don Ariely speak at the Israeli embassy and. Um, you know, we we're talking about how, um, you know, on a more uh, a more scientific, sociological level, studying um, mm-hmm. how people respond to various situations, and you see there there really is no difference. Um, some of the smartest people I've ever met have a seventh grade education, sure, um, or they don't they don't have hacks, access very often to the tools that we consider you know high tech, so right. they have to hack everything. And, and, you know, I grew up a little bit that way, having to kind of hack stuff and figure out, and it's more fun and it, it makes your brain work better. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think it's important and I'm I'm not saying that, um, you know, they go here, their life is transformed and that's it, but it is definitely transformative, not only for that moment, but when you start regularly reaching out and talking with other people, and when you think right now, even what's going on in this own country, our country, mm-hmm. between, you know, the Crips and the Bloods, the R's and the D's, the, you know, mm-hmm. all these reasons that we think for some reason we are two, precisely two different people, yeah. right? Yeah and how can we connect? I would love and I've, I've seen I've seen this done and I think it's really beautiful where you see, you know, there's some restaurants in DC, it's like Japanese Peruvian fusion food. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've heard um, great bluegrass classical music, you know? Yeah. Going back to your original question, when you you listen to Chopin, there are definitely some jazz progressions in there Mm -hmm. that you hear and you you wonder where some of this stuff comes from there's definitely a very strong slavic influence to his which we understand why um to to his works um and i i i think the great thinkers are people that are able to integrate but you can't do that unless you have exposure
0: I totally agree. I I believe the essence of scholarship is moving from your own discipline and comparing and contrasting with other ideas and other disciplines. And that's where the magic happens, right? Things start to pop. So there's so much that that you said that I want to dig into. But the, the first part is, so the mission really of the Embassy Series is through this music, through this, what you talked about before, the ability to not only catch people intellectually, but in their heart, in the gut, for lack of a better word, the international music, that language, it's building common understanding, building diplomacy through bringing people together and learning about their cultures. Am I thinking about that in a fair way?
1: I, I think that's absolutely um, true. And and I would say, you know, even now, um, it's weird as we're all kind of uh, sequestered mm-hmm. um, and quarantined. Um, we have this common condition that we're sharing. There's no one out there that doesn't have a story. Every every time you think you know something about someone, um, there there's another part to it that you didn't realize. And you get to that point where you say like, "Oh wow, I'm just going to resign myself to the fact that I don't know these things, and that I'm going to assume the best out of people." And we're all, you know, and I, I'm not saying all people and all things are good, by the way. Because I get there, it. There's I, I know bad what you mean. stuff out there. Oh but you know when you're when you're sitting there and you're all in an audience and you're listening to this beautiful music and you're all having your own experience but you're you're finding that vulnerability inside you and you're sitting next to someone who's doing the same thing Mm -hmm. and next to someone else who's doing the same thing there is that shared moment and you can stop talking about those six words that set everyone (laughs) off And, and you can have a more nuanced um a conversation about things that are, you know, that you care about and are beautiful.
0: You know, in that shared moment, the same thing in a great talk, a great presentation. Everybody almost becomes in a trance in the audience. Their brains are reacting the same way. If people are connected up to wires and brain scans, we see that different parts of their brain are being engaged. And it's so amazing. People may be sad at the same time, they may laugh, they may smile. Now, before we get to that join up, though, there's an area of this that just fascinates me, where you talk about in all of the work of reaching out in growing the embassy series, reaching out to different ambassadors, different folks. And again, you've had, whether it's Russia or China or Israel, these are, of course, very contentious topics right now, of course, you know, the press is ablaze yeah. with Ukraine and Russia and what will happen. And is, is Putin just threatening or will it really happen in g G7? So what are some of those challenges like, Daniela, when you're reaching out, when you're trying to develop these amazing shows that you do, there's gotta be some really tough challenges. I'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: You know, there, there are so many. One of the toughest challenge, is, uh, challenge the challenges that I see is the logistics of it. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike a concert hall, we don't own the concert hall. So we have to negotiate each and every concert with the embassy. And there's a rotation of staff. Mm -hmm. So you can talk with one ambassador and you have an agreement. The next ambassador comes in and has a very different approach to how they do things. So Mm -hmm. part of it is logistical. But there's some specific incidents that have happened over the years that are always kind of very interesting. Um, and this one without naming a country that would want to see the lists of all the guests and filter out ones that they feel might be connected to something that they don't agree with. Uh,
0: yeah. That's one
1: thing that you may encounter. Um, another one I, I will share with you that happened at the Embassy of Austria many years ago. Um, and this is many years ago. And I, please forgive me. It may have been as, as much as close to 20 years ago mm-hmm. that this happened um there was someone that was elected to um the local um uh uh, uh parliament that um jorg heider do you remember jorg heider who was a nationalist okay. he had, held highly nationalistic views and this was terrifying in this country this made national news and they said oh my gosh what's going on in, in Austria what's going to happen in Europe this guy wh- what does this mean fast forward of course it's it's you know this is just normal right I remember the story um, now. I
0: didn't remember the name but I remember the story yes
1: well we were about to do a concert at the Austrian embassy and we were getting angry calls from people I'm not going to show up at your concert if you support if, if you go out there and you do a concert at the Austrian embassy, then you're supporting this. Not, not understanding at all um, about Austrian politics, what was going on over there. You know, it's kind of like over here. It doesn't matter who you elect. It doesn't mean that everyone is supporting that, that particular candidate. right? right? So um, at the time, we had very lengthy conversations, my, my father and I, about what to do. And what we decided to do and I, I, I have to give so much credit to my dad, who to me is the ultimate diplomat and one of the kindest, most wonderful, smartest people I've ever known um, and good, good person. Um, I, I, I can't say enough nice things about him. He said, you know, this is what we're about. We're about musical diplomacy when all else fails. We, we have to go on with this concert. Hmm. So half the people didn't show up. Oh, wow. But for us we wanted to show our support to austria austrian people no matter what Mm -hmm. and that that we always need to connect we can't stop dialoguing Mm -hmm. even if it's just dialoguing through notes Mm -hmm. no dialogue at all drawing pictures for each other sharing art being in the same room whatever it may be you need to you need to keep that going and you know i I i remember that to this day because um it impacted me at a very deep level, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Now we look and we say, Oh my God, of course we had to do that. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine getting these angry calls. Um, and I'm sure many people um, these days, uh, politicians are getting those kinds of angry calls, but you have to do the right thing. You have to have some type of foresight about what, who do we want to be? How do we want to define ourselves? And we have to work toward that all the time.
0: And there's such an aspect of courage in this, right? I had thought about in prepping for our discussion from a music point of view and performance, and I hadn't thought about exactly what you just said, the courage to say, no, we're going to carry on and continue with this mission. Now, when you actually did carry on, did the people that showed up, the 50%, did they enjoy it? Was the dinner nice afterwards? I mean, how did that all play out? Or was there a lot of tension in the room?
1: You know, it was, but, you know, you have to imagine that those who showed up, none of them, there was no one that was uninformed mm. at the time. At least, you know, we tend to attract a very savvy, you know, um, uh, person, not just because of our location, but because of what we do. Sure. So they made a conscious decision that they wanted to be there, that they they wanted to show up. I guess it's a, it was a great sieve, but hopefully, you know, other folks have since maybe reconsidered how... I'm not sure that we lost anyone permanently from our mission as a result Mm -hmm. of of, of, um, carrying on with the concert.
0: You know, when Cliff and I were talking this morning, and I'd mentioned to him years ago, I was traveling with the government, and I was in Thailand, It was in Bangkok. And as part of when I wasn't working the mission during the day, there were some folks I was working with that were tennis players, and I played tennis, and they invited me to play. And one of the things they said was that, if you play with the ambassador, don't win. And I thought, okay, this is an interesting <laughs> this is an interesting lesson. And it's not like I'm a great player to where that was necessarily going to happen. And I didn't end up playing with the ambassador, mm. but I thought, wow, cause I was pretty young back then. This is an education on how you perhaps adroitly interact with folks at a variety of different levels. And I'm guessing you interact with a lot of big personalities so I would just love to get your perspective on how do you get people to buy into the mission? What is effective musical diplomacy or diplomacy behind the scenes that really brings off these amazing events?
1: You know, that's a great question. Um, I think everything boils down to relationship building. Mm-hmm relationships with individuals, first and foremost, you know that that, you know, when you have a relationship with someone, and they know you and you know them, they give you a lot of leeway. Mm-hmm. They they do assume the best. I'm sure you've had that before, where someone has maybe attacked someone you know, or a friend or a colleague, and, and you feel like they're being unfair, and you're the first to jump in and say, yes. Hey, I, I hear what you're saying, but have you considered this? And that's truly creating ambassadors, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I will tell you that we attract a wide audience and politically we attract a wide audience. I've heard and seen many different operatives, very well known um, Mm. from both sides of the aisle. Um, And um, at times I will tell you, and I'm not a political person at all, I I have to follow it, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, very nonpartisan. Um, there have been you know some people who have been i i see them show up and i say wow this is going to be challenging for me
0: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> to even talk to this person because i have such strong feelings about something that they've done um nothing to do with politics but just something that they've done sure. and you have to again transcend that and say and and i'm glad i did because some of these people i, I speak with and i'm like we don't we never will agree on this thing but i do like them and this is the thing about them that i really appreciate Mm -hmm. and so it's starting always with how can we make a connection let's keep on working on this until we find that spot Mm -hmm. where where we can connect and we can like each other um you know or respect each other or whatever it may be there will always be those people and i'm not saying about people that come to our concerts that you you can't and that's okay you can say i tried i tried really hard and then i tried harder let me just leave it alone. Let me not. Let me not try to to force this issue. At least not right now, mm-hmm. um, or ever. Um, but um, so yes, you do see that, and we have that common ground. And it's funny. I'm I'm pretty sure that if these people and I were on social media together, which we're not, but um, who knows what might fly?
0: Right. Because you start already from this adversarial position. Versus a wow, we're both enamored with that piano player, that singer, that guitarist, whatever it may be. Now, when we talk about the actual performances, and then there's a dinner or there's food served afterwards from that country, right? Yes. Their
1: culture. That's got to be amazing.
0: Yes. What are some of the, from an event point of view? And tasty. I'll bet it is, right? Some, what are some of the more unique events that you've been a part of over the year where you're just like, wow, this, this blew me away. I had no idea.
1: Um, I wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, we did an incredible dance recital at, at Bangladesh. Um, um, we did one with Oman at the Ambassador's Residence, which was really spectacular with a gentleman who played Oud, and it was incredible um we had this uh, another performance um indonesia I, I i don't know if you've been to the embassy here it's one of the more beautiful buildings I here no. we wow. had a, an extraordinary performance of turkish jazz at the turkish ambassador's residence which is i i again probably one of the most spectacular buildings in dc mm-hmm. um we had a great performance we opened up the vietnamese embassy many years ago and that was that was um That was very uh, uh, interesting because it's not it's not big, right? Mm -hmm. And here we are opening up their inaugural, you know. And my my father is a Vietnam vet, by the way. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a gentleman that shows up at the door. He doesn't have a ticket. He's State Department. Yeah, right. (laughs) We tell him we're like it's a small embassy. We have we have nothing left. He was like, that's okay. I will stand in the back, Mm -hmm. but I'm coming in. So you, you have, you know, those occasional things like that. And we look back at it now and it's kind of humorous. I don't think we really had a choice. Um, But um, uh, yeah, all all of them blow me, all of them blow me away. We had a performance up at the French embassy with, um, it was performance art and um, it was music. It was like candlelight music, like you would do in someone's salon in the 1700s. Oh wow! And he dressed up in mime oh. and and recited poetry. This guy was brilliant. He had an MBA from HEC, which you know is the Harvard of France. Mm-hmm. You know, and he decided mm-hmm. this is not what I want to do. I want to do this performance art. And um, you'd be surprised at the number of musicians that you know have degrees and graduate degrees and other things, but they're just very accomplished musicians and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that's their passion. That's what they wanna do. From a musician
0: point of view, does sometimes that tension carry over, and what I mean by tension is again, whether it's you know international diplomacy, hotspots in the world, are there times where a, a performer may come and have misgivings about america or perhaps people in the audience have you observed that
1: before that kind of tension no (laughs) the reason i think is a little there's probably a convoluted reason behind it i think musicians are just happy to be performing and getting paid for it for some degree this is their art they make (laughs) a living off of it um uh and a, a, a great story about that um but um i i also think that you know we always have a range of people that we can choose from. And so, um, at any given time, even though we're inviting people to come in and we find some people who are really extraordinary, you know, we have, um, dozens of people a day approaching us, sending us CDs and, you know, picking and choosing, you know, so it's not a random, you know, uh, uh, selection process, but, um, my, um, when I was in school many years ago, studying music, there was a, a, a gentleman who, who taught in the music department who had sung at the Metropolitan Opera, um, well-known singer, his name was Dominic Cossa. And I went to Dominic and I said, Dominic, what makes a successful musician? And his response to me, I've never forgotten. He said, if you can make a living off of singing, then you're successful, period. And I thought about it. And to answer your question, musicians, yes, they love what they do, they're really passionate about it, but there's some extraordinary musicians who are some of the better musicians that don't make a living off of it because they're not good business people. Yeah. And you've seen this and you've seen also people that have very little talent and you see it now in our, in our popular culture that pull all sorts of shenanigans and they're able to brand themselves really well. Right. um, And make a lot of money and be successful um, and, and keep doing whatever it is that they do in perpetuity. Mm -hmm. We, 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 specialize in finding people who are at the beginning stage of their careers and are really extraordinary. Um, we're, we're pretty good at doing that and 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 finding that person that might charge us a certain amount now that's mm-hmm. affordable but high,
0: sure.
1: but in a few years from now, we would not be able to afford them. Um, yeah. That That's generally yeah. the, the profile of the person we find.
0: Amazing. And then they're honored to be there, of course. So that takes away any of those, you know, international nation state challenges and so forth. When we talk about the mission, and I just love the mission of connecting, finding that common ground. Are there examples that you can think about of where through the embassy series that maybe it was two different countries, two different officials from those countries of where, huh? They met, they enjoyed the concert, maybe they had some food, and they started to dialogue a little bit or started to connect a little bit. Have you ever seen anything like that, occur?
1: Every concert. Every concert. Every single one, we see that. Um, I, I think the reason we've had so much longevity for 27 years is because we do have a stellar reputation. And Mm -hmm. we do try to understand where they are coming from. And, you know, especially right now, things are pivoting every minute Mm -hmm. and we're changing our format, you know, in many ways. We, you know, first of all, we have lower capacity. What does that Mm -hmm. mean? Um, You also find from the ambassador's perspective that they also have fewer funds to do more and it's more challenging to do outreach during COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, if your mandate is to come over here and reach out into the community and like, good Lord, you go to D.C. downtown and it's a bit of a ghost town right. and people don't want to come out and they, everything is through Zoom. That makes it hard, especially to have some of the conversations. And as you know, there, there are certain things that can happen in, in only in embassies and not in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is really important. And one of the things that we're looking to do more and more is to um, uh, take the next step which is, in addition to the concerts and music, having private roundtables beforehand mm. where we can discuss some very important issues. Um, you know, things that, you know, we've discussed before. Sure. Like cyber security, security, digital identity. How can we how can we further dialogues, um, you know, sharing uh, technical expertise, mm-hmm. um, uh, building together? Um, you know what what are the foundations of agreements who, who do you need to know that can help connect the dots mm-hmm. so um, that's the next level without making it politicized at all yeah but having a dialogue there um, not for everyone but for you know some select folks um, you know before before concerts and I think it puts people in a more relaxed position
0: yeah when will that start to occur Danielle
1: Oh, it's already starting.
0: It's already starting. Okay. It's already
1: starting. Yeah, it's already starting. Okay. Um, it's already starting. And um, I think it's a it's a win-win for everyone because truly, you know, musical diplomacy, you know, it's not just about music, it's also about diplomacy. Mm-hmm. And we we really need no matter what, even with people that we think are our enemies, the discussion may be different. But we can't we can't stop connecting. And you know, I, as a former trade negotiator, I know why do we trade? Because nations that trade together, are, are don't want to see each other fail. Mm-hmm. If if China has a lot of foreign direct investment in the United States, it's not good for the United States to fail. We don't want to see an unstable China. Right. You know, we we, we need to keep talking with every every country out there, or 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 having some connection.
0: Mm-hmm. This conversation, I feel, should be posted to every social media post and tag and all of that, because unfortunately, social media has some tremendous aspects. However, it starts, as we talked about, at the opposite of what this conversation is so oftentimes, where we're just reacting and and not thinking things through. Being part of this and your amazing upbringing in your family and exposed to all of these different musicians you have performed in all kinds of different capacities, whether it's in business or whether it's in music or singing, what's that taught you about humanity? I mean, I think I've heard already your perspective, but I'd love to hear your message out there to others. As somebody that has really seen and been around the world and, and especially close to music, what's that really taught you about humanity?
1: that we shouldn't look for how we're different. We need to look for and keep searching for how we're similar. Um, I, I worked um, at, at U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I remember taking a tour of the laboratories and understanding this. I worked on a number of different issues, but understanding the, the drug evaluation process. And they started with, um, here are the, you know, planaria. <laughs> First, we start testing on, and then then they started looking at toxicity in mice, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, they said something again that stuck with me about they said, well, you know, the challenge with working with mice is we can you know do all these tox studies and understand how it affects the human. Um, it's the long term effect on the liver. You know, sometimes it doesn't show up for many years, and it makes it challenging for a mouse that lives a couple of years versus you know twenty mm. years. That you need to see the stuff show up, and they said, and I asked them. I said, well, so why are we working on on mice? I also worked at NIH too um, many years ago as a lab technician when I was in in high school, and where I had to extract DNA back when we were just starting to sequence from mice and grow it up in little plates. Um, and uh, they said, well, the mouse DNA is like ninety-seven point something percent the same as human DNA, and I remember my jaw dropping. I'm like. So here we are trying to describe all of our differences. You have this color hair. You're this height. Your your um, your 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 eyes, your mouth, or your skin color, whatever looks different, or your orientation. All this stuff we're finding, and yet we're so very similar in our DNA. Mm-hmm. We're so very we're we're 99. Point something 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 mm-hmm. similar in our DNA. We're that similar to a mouse. And I, I thought like, well, mouse has two eyes. A mouse has two ears. Yeah. Um, they have legs, they have arms, they have little fingers. Yeah. They have hair, you know, but we we've, we've gotten to the point where we're, we're looking for all the differences rather than the similarities. And I think no matter what we, we need to understand, especially with our other humans, that they have feelings, they have ambitions, they have desires. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're always up to good, mm-hmm. but they're not always up to bad either. We're all made up. There's no such thing as a good person and a bad person. We're all made up and we all have our choices and we have that ability. Not only if we can, we ourselves can be influenced and evolve. We have that ability to do that with other people, but it's not through telling them, Mm -hmm. it's through showing, Um, you know, and I, I say that as a parent, that was the greatest lesson for me ever because my son asked me these questions and I'm like, huh? I thought I knew the answer, but when he posed that to me, this thing that I thought I knew then, you know, my entire life Mm -hmm. is not how I thought about it at all. And then as they get older, they astound you. And you're like, how in the heck did you figure that out? They're watching you. Uh huh. And and so I think instead of lecturing to people about, you know, what they should be doing, how they should be thinking of things, and they've been living in their own skin their entire lives, we just have to be, we have to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Mm -hmm. And they can take it or they can leave it.
0: You know, it's so, yeah, yeah. it's so interesting. A few weeks ago, we were talking with Mike Douglas, and this guy is a professional skier, free skier, extreme skier, travels around the world, and he jumps off 50, 100 foot clips, does backflips. The guy is amazing, and he's transitioned from just, he still does the skiing, now he's a filmmaker and so forth, award-winning filmmaker, he does amazing work. But we asked him a similar question, Daniela, as to you. and, And I asked him, he says, what would surprise people the most about free skiing? And he says, well, yeah, there's a skiing aspect and how incredible it is to glide on snow. But he said, as I go around the world, he says, everywhere I meet people, we have so much in common. He said, we may not even speak the same language because he's going into Kazakhstan and all of these, wherever there is a mountain, he is there. And he said, yet people are smiling and bonding, enjoying wilderness, enjoying the thrill of skiing. And he felt if we could just start there, because he had all kinds of, he's working heavily on global warming and saving our winters and all that stuff. But he said, I don't want to get sideways with you if you have a different perspective than me. Let's talk about it. But his perspective, when you boiled it down, was exactly like yours, And I find that amazing. You come from an expertise of music and international diplomacy and business. Yet this guy, different part of the planet, lives out in Whistler-Blackcomb, British Columbia. And he had something to say that was very similar. And that tells me that as people that are really experiencing life, they start to see these aphorisms, these truths of what can really bring us together. It's fascinating.
1: He sounds really amazing. And um, I, you know, I... I also believe, and I'm I'm not an athlete, although I, you know, I'm very into sports. Um, but I believe that is something that truly bonds people, and that's mm-hmm. why things like the Olympics are so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, inter, in in intramural sports, any anything that you can get where you get people working on a team together towards a common goal. Yeah. Or even individually sharing yeah. that, even if it's an individual sport, sharing that that love and that passion. And you can see the fact that someone's even, you know, smiling at you, that's the first sign that like they they're trying to engage, right? Mm-hmm. When Absolutely. they smile at you, they're trying to engage.
0: Absolutely. So a couple of thoughts, and again, I really appreciate your time because I know you are incredibly busy. What keeps you positive? Aren't we all right? <laughs> yeah, you may be more than some of us. Um, But what keeps you positive that as much as I love the mission, I love the work that you're doing, in some ways you could argue we're almost in unprecedented times. So what keeps you positive and keeps you so energetic to say, no, 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 we're going to keep pursuing this mission because it matters. Where do you draw that strength from?
1: I don't, first of all, think we really have a choice. Hmm. And what I mean by that, I'm not one of those eternal optimists, and I don't really care for eternal optimism either. I think skepticism is a very healthy mm-hmm. um, you know, critical thinking skill. Sure. But it's kind of like I, I tell my son, I'm like, you could and should feel whatever you need to feel, whether it's anger, whether it's disgust, all of those things, but you can't stay there. Yeah. It's not healthy. What it boils down to is how do you how do you move forward? So um, you know. For, for me, I tend to be a very happy person because I follow my passion at all times. I stay, uh, you know, I work hard. I, I work long hours, mm-hmm. but I love what I do. I don't, if, if I'm not doing what I what I love, I'm just not gonna do it. Um, but there are times for all of us where we say, oh my goodness, how, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. This this is depressing. Mm-hmm. And you have a an arsenal, like a tool chest of like, okay, I can't stay here. Because if, if I stay here, it's not good for me. It's not good for people around me. I start doing harm. Mm-hmm. I start doing harm to the world around me. And so I, I think um, having the understanding that that range of emotions is natural and healthy in a human, but the ones that are positive where you continue to connect and stay in, in that space that's passionate and that you want the best for people around you. Mm -hmm. and you want the best, you want people to be able to pursue happiness, um, and, and have that freedom to pursue that I think is so liberating. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of like people that do charitable work and they say, wow, that scratched niche, it just made me so happy. It was a shortcut to happiness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my hope is, um, and I I say this, I'm a bit of a minimalist. I'm, 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 Uh, the most anti-pack rat person you'll ever see. Good. Um, (laughs) yeah, I I find that, you know, this culture of stuff and it doesn't it doesn't fill emptiness in our hearts. Mm -hmm. What what fills emptiness is being able to connect with other people. And when we find that we do that, the rest of it doesn't matter. It's a shortcut to happiness. It's not about earning more money. It's not about like toiling away or or you know, it's about connecting with your family, your friends, people you don't know, having a story. Um, that's that's an incredibly enriching experience.
0: Mm-hmm. My final question, we covered a lot today and fascinating topics. What should I have asked? What didn't we talk about? Whether it's in music, singing, the Embassy series, was there a question that we should have talked about that we didn't?
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> that we, I, I I think I'm sure that you and I could, could have many more of these discussions and talk about many different things. There are a lot of things that I I would love to cover. And I, and I think um, one of the things that maybe down the road um, we can talk about is how we get to where we need to, to get Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: right now. um, You know, people say it's a dire time. I, I don't see it that way at all, but I've you know, I've been an avid, you know, student of studying, you know, World War II, Holocaust, and you see what people have lived through. I mean, look at dark ages, look at, you know, medieval times and serfdom. I mean, in some ways we're living in the best possible time, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we become allergic to ourselves. You know, they, they did these studies in, in, you know, kids that are in in the UK um, a number of years ago, why all these kids are developing allergies and I'm not saying that this is 100% of this by any means. But they said we, they're living in such sanitary conditions that, that they have to be allergic to something was, mm-hmm. was the bottom line scientifically. And, and I do think that there is a connection between anything and everything in life. There are lessons that you can learn. You can read poetry from 500 years ago and understand the human heart. You can, you can know It's always a little different, but there are lessons that are learned. Um, so I think taking all of this and how can we apply it to the future to make things better. And I think the first thing that we need to understand is all the good stuff that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that a lot of the bad stuff that we're seeing is in our minds. I'm not saying it's not happening because right. there's actually worse stuff happening out there that it, it is not getting reported. Right. Um, but we need to be, how, how do we get to the point that we have better, use all of these tools that we have to become better, better critical thinkers, mm-hmm. how to fix stuff, Stop admiring the problems. Stop, you know, complaining about them. If you have a problem with something, how do you make the world better?
0: I have a. a That's good... a whole other topic. Yeah, and and we'll we'll take on. I we'll do that at another time. I would love to talk about it. I have a friend who, at this point, all he wants to talk about is exactly what you said. Okay, I've got that. Tell me now your thoughts on how we improve that. Got it. Understand the problem tell me how we improve it. And I I totally resonate with what you're saying, because in my way of thinking, this is a time, it seems, for such tremendous optimism. I mean, we have, yes, yes, it is, as our friend David Bray says, we're in an era of exponential change. But with that change, there is so much opportunity. There are so many exciting things. When we're looking at artificial intelligence, machine learning, quantum computing, yeah, I get there are bad guys sometimes, or adversaries that want to use those for harm, yet the possibilities for them and for us to shape them, right? Because we've been talking about art and music. And one of the things I love about this conversation is sometimes in DC, we have this, you know, static policy, technology, engineering, and it misses what you so eloquently described before, the the magic of music tapping into that vulnerability, tapping into how you feel. And I love these conversations because they bring that aspect to it. So absolutely, I think we need to talk again about how we can tap into that optimism. But, you know, we'll we'll work that one. But Daniela, I cannot thank you enough for coming on today and talking about the Embassy series. And I think people are just going to find it so fascinating because, to be honest, until you and I met, I didn't know about it. And as I've learned about the mission, I'm fascinated. I'm watching videos and I'm reading about it and so forth. And I just really appreciate your time of so beautifully explaining what it is and how that mission is touching people and and really making change out there.
1: Well, I really appreciate it. It's been really a supreme honor and pleasure. And I look forward to inviting you to um, future concerts um, so you can experience experience it for yourself
0: that would be delightful would absolutely love to attend we will definitely take daniela up on the offer for tickets to an embassy series at one of these events hosted at the residence of the ambassador residence of another nation couple things that really hit me one i just love the insight on music and performance and singing and all that is required to do that. I thought that was fascinating. And I thought there was a lot that we could all learn from that. I am in no way a singer, but it was fascinating to hear an expert at their craft talk about all that goes into doing something well, like singing. Another thing that I thought was was just so fascinating. I was picturing myself as Daniela was talking about whether being in an Austrian embassy or being in a Vietnamese embassy, Russian embassy, just how amazing it would be, taking in the architecture, the art, the tapestries, the different music, dancing, cultural performances, learning. I've always found it so fascinating to talk to folks from different parts of the world to see how they do things. As you know, this whole show is about a collision of ideas. It's about unearthing, hunting down, finding ideas, and smashing them together because there's so much that we can learn from each other. And so much of what we're trying to do in business, in GovCon, is changing the culture, changing the mindset so that we can move at the speed of mission. But the biggest takeaway that Daniela helps us embrace, remember, and stay focused on is keep being different. That is where the good stuff is.
1: GovCon Different. Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change.
0: It's like TED Talks meets the federal space.
1: Different ideas from different industries uncovered, unvarnished, and smashed together to produce change in the government space. Join us as we explore a world of GovCon possibilities.